welcome to the Energetics Exchange podcast, conversations with energy and climate experts. Please note that the information and commentary in this podcast is of a general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular individual or business. Listeners should not rely upon the content in this podcast without first seeking advice from a professional. Hello and welcome to Energetics' latest podcast. I'm Dr. Peter Holt, General Manager for Strategy and Policy at Energetics. Today with me, I have Emma Pringle. Emma is an ESG specialist, well known to many people throughout the industry, and is also a co-chair of one of the working groups from the Australian Sustainable Financial Initiative, otherwise known as ASFI. So Emma, we've had a remarkable year so far ranging from some of the worst bushfires that Australia has ever seen, uh, particularly here on the eastern coast, a city filled with smoke, to a global pandemic that has caught all of us by surprise. How do you think the market has responded? Uh, Look, I think the market is doing what it does best, which is trying to find value and take a long-term view around where the risk might lie, what these present-day risks are presenting to us and how we might best respond. I think where this is challenging on other shocks that the market's had is that it is just so unprecedented. And if you look back at the market disruptions over the last few decades, things like the GFC, it's been uh, a, a shorter time period and uh, more identifiable recovery on the way out, whereas this one, I think, is really treading into so many uncharted territories. So now that we're coming into uncharted territories, what are the indicators around ESG provided for investors in this period? Have they been looking to these or have they ignored these indicators? No, I, I look, I think the ESG indicators are more important than ever. I think this is probably the time when people most realise that you know, a long-term view, which is what ESG is effectively doing, it's trying to look into the future and use environmental and social risks as a, a proxy for, for the governance and future performance of the company, it's become critically important as all the traditional valuation metrics are really um, a lot harder to, to pin down. So when I think about things like uh, the way an investor might engage with the company, environmental and social factors are are really come to the fore in a way that they never have before as investors really try to deeply understand the drivers and the response of an organisation. So the analogies that we've seen in the marketplace has been that COVID's compressed a whole lot of trends into a very short period of time. And in some ways, we've had real-life stress testing of, of assets and of businesses as well. Is that what you're seeing in the market? Most definitely. And I think, you know, we often talk about the change and the the long time that change takes to happen until we come into crisis and you do have that sudden escalation of these change paradigms. And I think your your comment is exactly right that we are seeing this kind of microcosm of the factors coming into play right now. So then in the investor, financial investor world, do you see some investors being more prepared for this type of event that we're living through now, the COVID event, as opposed to other uh, investors? I think it's probably too early to call that, if I'm honest. I think, you know, certainly, (laughs) so my mind is scrambling here. The obvious response is to say, you know, yes, those that consider a range of factors in their valuation and the way that they invest and not just, 
you know, write an index or, or look at traditional financial metrics, but are actually doing deep valuation of an organisation, looking at the way that it's planning into the future, looking at the way that the company is managing its financial and non-financial risks. Those investors are absolutely going to be the best prepared to weather this crisis. How the market responds and whether or not those investors are, are right will play out over time, but certainly you would have to expect that more than ever a focus on non-financial risks is as important as financial risks. As an analogy, um, climate change has been well recognised as a systemic risk uh, to investors as well. And we've seen um, the response uh, from Financial Stability Board through the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, really wanting more information to understand the systemic risk in the financial sector as well. I was actually on a podcast last night listening to Mark Carney saying, well, we thought corporates would be able to act and act quite quickly, but have been frustrated by the slower rate of change and adoption of their, specifically the TCFD recommendations from his point of view. What do you think is happening in Australia in that context as well? Do you think it should be mandatory? Oh, I would love to see TCFD reporting be mandated, uh, but I do think that there is a long way to go before we get the disclosures to a point that are going to be really useful for investors and for all stakeholders. And, you know, some of the issues that I see are those who have spoken about more broadly, so things like comparability and, um, you know, the, the quality of the inputs only being as good as the outputs. And I think like anything else, we need to remember that, that these are useful in terms of this, they're really good signposts for an investor as to how a company is thinking about the risk. They can absolutely pose different scenarios as to what might happen in the future and therefore how their business might respond under those scenarios. But until, you know, I think we evolve them a little bit more, the, the true value of them won't be realised. Certainly the biggest thing for me when I look at a company doing its TCFD reporting is an indicator as to how the, the board and the executive is thinking about climate change and climate risk to their, their business. So it gives you a good insight into risk, risk management and preparedness for businesses to cope with unusual times and uncertainty as well. And what you're telling me is that there's opportunities for these to be improved, the disclosures to be improved, we're seeing an emerging market. Now that brings me to some of the work that you're doing through the Australian Sustainable Finance Initiative, or ASFI for short. Can you tell us about this body? What is it doing? What's its purpose? Absolutely. So the Australian Sustainable Finance Initiative, ASFI, is a group that came together early last year to look at what sustainable finance looks like in Australia and to, to develop a roadmap of recommendations for policymakers, for regulators, for the industry itself across banking, investments, insurance to create a long-term resilient economy for Australia. And the way that we're doing that is by, by bringing some of the, you know, the best minds, I guess, across uh, those industries into a, into a forum where we can identify what the challenges are and then how, what the levers are that we can pull to best place Australia up to respond into the future. And I think, as you said, it is particularly relevant in, a, in the current time that we're in. You know, we, we probably came into the process really focused a lot more on, on the E, out of the ES and, and G that we look at with climate being so topical in Australia and globally. But the, the COVID crisis has really 
forced us to make sure and, and really stress test, I guess, our own planning and thinking to make sure that the, the social and the health sides of the equation are, are taking as equal importance as climate and, and the environment that have got a lot of airtime over the last year or two. So how has that changed some of the thinking going through the initiative in the working groups? I wouldn't say it's changed it so much as maybe helped, you know, really make sure that we are strengthening our thinking across the, the board. I think it's probably made us go back and reflect very much on our purpose, which is, you know, around creating that, that really resilient and stable system that can withstand shocks into it, such as COVID or, you know, any other health-related shock or a, a crisis or any other disruption into our economic, our environment, into our social system, so that we can have that long-term um, support, I suppose. And, you know, COVID really does make us think about, you know, vulnerable communities and are they getting the right support that they need through this? It certainly made us think about what the stimulus packages might be coming out of COVID. You know, we, we hear the term the road out a lot, but what does that road out look like and how do we make sure that we are planning as a nation the right projects, the right investment, the right development that will put that long-term view into the system. So a lot of the issues you're describing are also climate-related issues as well. So they're compounding now from both health and from climate. Does that factor into some of the thinking as well? It really does. You know, like we said, the shock of the health-related crisis, it has a lot of parallels to the any other kind of shock. And when we talk about you know, sustainability, we are talking about environmental sustainability, social sustainability, economic sustainability. And when we say sustainability, you know, it is really outcomes. It's how do we have the right outcomes for a long time and looking at as best we can those long-term views. And it also I think the resilience factors are incredibly important. So making sure that we can be resilient now but also develop the resilience into the system. And so then leading on to outcomes and solutions, what are some of the policy levers or not necessarily even policy but recommendations that you're seeing that coming out of ASFI? Well, maybe if I go back a step and talk to the objectives of ASFI, um, in the first instance, which actually was really developed around, I guess, four kind of key aims, uh, which were um, or are mobilising capital, creating a sustainable, stable, resilient financial system, making better informed decisions and meeting community and consumer expectations. And so as we've been working through, we've had four technical working groups that have been loosely aligned to each of those four aims. And as we've worked through, we've seen some really consistent and common themes coming out. So the first kind of half of our work, and we released a progress report in December last year, which spoke to these, is we identified six challenges. And those six challenges, I think, uh, would be really recognisable to, to most people, which is where, where we see things in our system that need levers pulled to address them. And absolutely, climate is a good kind of test to put against these, but now so is COVID and so are some of the other challenges that we're seeing around, you know, vulnerability, uh, which I mentioned earlier, but I think is really at the core of what we're trying to do. Um, and so those challenges, those six challenges, um, talk to things like leadership and culture and institutional structures, um, certainly the community and, and consumer interests and outcomes, which are, is very dear to my heart. But then also, you know, taxonomies, so frameworks, tools, standards within the industry in the first instance, 
And then, you know, how do we actually allocate capital where it needs to flow and what are the policy and regulations around that? So our recommendations, which will be coming out later this year, everything's been pushed back uh, somewhat with, with COVID impacts, um, will be spanning across all those areas and, and really addressing those critical challenges. So you're going to give us any insights about what they might include, some of the key insights? Look, I can't, I can't talk to them at this point in time because we are deep, deep in the process of putting them all on the table and really are in a, a really you know, big phase of heavy lifting, although I feel like I'm always telling our working group that we're, we're right in the depth of the heavy lifting. But where we're at in the process is all the recommendations across each of the technical working groups have come into a single um, coordinating working group and have been just over this week put up to our STECO for uh, review, ratification. Um, some of them are quite bold and out there, which is what we really need, and some of them are the more pragmatic um, incremental steps or, or laying the foundation over the short term so we can make that that greater change longer term. Certainly our group had some um, had some great you know curly left of center ideas that we thought would be uh, you know one way to really to you know put a bit of a firecracker under the system but we're also balance that with I guess the need for change that's going to be palatable across the system because we want this to be a report that the industry will pick up that regulators will pick up and read and go, yep, that makes sense. We can see that change. We don't want it to be something that is so out there that gets relegated to the pile of, you know, weird and wonderful ideas that 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 group once thought up, right? So it's got to be implementable and achievable. So you've got some big goals. You've got some big ideas that you'll share later in the year after it's been road tested as well. So that brings me across to some of the dialogue that you had uh, through this process as well. How have the regulators engaged with the initiative? Yeah, really well. So we, for example, Jeff Summerhays from APRA uh, has been an observer in our steering committee. We've had input from the other regulators as well, and they've been incredibly supportive with, uh, I guess, actually a bit of a sounding board and, and a bit of a, a steering, um, you know, ship through through the process. One of the, the key differences from the Australian roadmap process, and I should just say, you know, this roadmap um, is an idea that has been globally in play for some time now. So um, we've seen roadmaps come out of countries in Europe and in, in Asia and uh, elsewhere. New Zealand are working on one at the moment as well. Some of the earlier ones um, have been government-led or government-instigated. In Australia, one of the really key differences, there's probably two or three key differences about the Australian one, one of them being that it is industry-led and government back. So we have had support from government. We've had um, quite involved support from regulators. But we really want this to be something that the industry leaves and where the, we see most of the change sitting is with the industry. A couple of the other changes that come to mind, uh, most of the other roadmaps have been very focused on the green economy and looking at a climate response. Right from day one, Australia was as much about the social as it was about the environmental outcomes. And, you know, as it happens with the COVID crisis, in the middle of it, it seems like it was a very wise thing to do by those that first set this up to be, you know, equally spread across the, the E and the S. Um, and then the third thing that I think has become really evident to me when I've spent a lot of time reading the, some of the other jurisdictions' roadmaps is Australia, more than anywhere else, has had a real focus on the community and the consumer. 
So rather than it just being something that we're talking about within the industry, so how do we allocate capital, what systems do we change, what policies do we put in place around, you know, the way that pension funds might be invested, for example, we've had a real focus on and what do these system changes mean for the end consumer or for the communities in which we operate? How do we create that strength but also talk to and engage communities along the way? So as the co-lead of the Working Group on Communities and Consumers, what are some of the insights that you're seeing at that level then to distinguish between uh, it's the H-leg one from Europe was the roadmap from memory? Yeah, so the H-leg I think is a great example of one that focuses very much on the system and less on the consumer in the process. And look, our group has been just so fantastic. We've had the most amazingly engaged working group We've had some really great experiences working, not just in the system, but working with those communities and consumers that we're talking about. One of the big challenges, I think, with the whole ASCII process is that we are still people sitting within the industry talking to each other, trying to solve problems for the real world. And in our technical working group, we had people who are working with some of the groups that we are trying to solve problems for. We've had stakeholder round tables where we've brought people in and said, you know, what, what, what's the problem? What's the question that we're, we're trying to, to answer here? So we've had a really great input from that sense. But the other thing that we've really focused on is not just sustainability within the system. So not just what does a good ESG product look like or what should a super fund consider if they're putting up a, you know, a, a sustainable product. But really, so it's not just sustainability within the system, but the sustainability of the system. So how do we help those most vulnerable or those who are traditionally locked out of the financial system access the right solutions for them, whatever that might look like? Sounds like some fascinating work. Now, I know you've just um, recently been working within corporate as well as now back with working with investors. Just change tack slightly differently. How do you see the different views of ESG from within corporate, from an investor perspective as well? Has that changed your view? Oh, it was such a fantastic experience for me to to sit inside a company that usually I'd be looking at from the outside. I think there were some things that were there were absolutely parallels in the sense that there are some real drivers of change within any organisation. There are those that really appreciate the value that are focused on, um, you know, management of non-financial risk and have to a financial outcome. I think what I was really pleasantly surprised about actually was how much good thinking does go on inside a corporate about the risks to a business or the risks to a community that they're operating in that don't necessarily get well articulated outside the organisation. So one of the things as an investor that we get quite frustrated about when we look at a company is we say, and I think this is where TCFD comes, um, you know, really into its own, is that we think, well, we know that that company must be thinking about what its climate risks are. We know that they must be taking a view on different um, energy mixes into the future and what that might mean to their own organisation. But as an investor, unless that company is telling us that through things like uh, TCFD aligned disclosure, it's very hard to get a sense of how the companies are thinking about it. So in my experience, the, the company that I was recently working with absolutely has some great thinking going on internally around what the future might look like. So I guess it gave me a lot of confidence that the conversations are there and that really the need for better disclosure is absolutely the right lever to pull here. 
so that we can connect the investment community better with the thinking inside these organisations. And we've got a whole deal of change occurring at the moment. Does that require more information, less information, more discussion, more disclosure, more? Are we asking for more, more and more? What are we asking for? More disclosure is not better (laughs) disclosure. Absolutely. Uh, No, more disclosure is absolutely not the answer. I think, um, and again, I think this is where it is really helpful for an organisation to have a very clear view on what investors are looking for. And certainly not just organisations I was working with, but other companies that I've spoken with in the past have so welcomed engagement from investors because they've said, thank goodness, you know, we write these sustainability reports and we, we come across all this information and we try to put it into this single place that you can read it. But as an investor, it's probably only two or three things that you're really trying to get out of it. So, you, you know, in my experience, most IR teams or, or most, you know, sustainability teams within an organisation have really welcomed clearer direction, clearer signals, clearer engagement from the ESG investment community around what are the key risks that you want to hear about from us and what are the key management structures that we have in place to manage those risks. So, no, definitely not more disclosure, just better disclosure. Definitely not more, but the challenge is an investor only wants to see three things. What are those three things? And is that the same for each investor? Oh, look, it is not the same for each investor. It's not the same for each company. So, you know, and that's where this question of materiality really comes into it. So I think the upfront work that needs to be done is identifying what material issues are in each sector, in each company, and then having the clear standards with the way that those are communicated. And I think if you look back over time, there are some really good examples of where we've seen a maturing of a process around the way that risks are disclosed or that, um, you know, different sustainability reporting has really come up the curve. I think we will see... A, you know, absolute continued improvement of climate risk disclosure through standards like TCFD. Um, in modern slavery, obviously, people are now really interested in modern slavery with the legislation coming into effect in Australia this year. But I think it will take some time before we start seeing reporting on that that will allow external stakeholders to have a very clear view of what it means to a company. So then on that note, what advice or what insights would you give to large Australian businesses uh, across social, uh, environmental and governance issues as they consider their future planning and their future capital allocations? I think it'd be really interesting to see as we come out of COVID how those capital allocations are made with an eye to changes in the the future economy that we're going to have as a necessary result of COVID. I think we've had a lot of discussion around Um, where government stimulus packages might go and what the right ways to deploy that capital in ways that are going to create a sustainable, you know, infrastructure or, you know, resilience across different social structures. And I think that, you know, there's a real ambiguity in the system that we probably haven't seen for a while. Certainly internally in a company, the most obvious place to start if it is a company that's exposed to fossil fuels is to do some climate-related scenario analysis so that, it's a very well understood roadmap into the future of where the risk lies, what that might mean to capital over a short and long term, and therefore how to set up a business best to respond to it. So in a fossil fuel company, whilst it might be harder to transition, it's much easier, I think, to identify the risk because there is so much thinking in the system now to do that. You know, broader companies, I'd say absolutely keep engaging, keep talking to investors, keep understanding where the risk might lie across the, the the total spectrum 
and therefore know how best to respond to it. Well, thank you very much, Emma, for some of your fascinating insights. You've certainly, we've certainly spent a whole range of things from social issues to social equity to health to governance and to environmental issues and how they converge and how they diverge. We thank you for your perspectives. Uh, I typically come to these kind of conversations with the clear climate lens on, but clearly um, a lot of these issues that we're facing now through the COVID uh, epidemic is much broader as well. Join us next time for more insights from Energetics Podcasts. Energetics Exchange Podcast, conversations with energy and climate experts.